BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and producing natural gas with fewer emissions in the Permian Basin. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Today on The Argument, everyone hates daylight saving time. Or do they? As you will likely learn on November 7th when your oven clock is suddenly wrong, or maybe that's just me, clocks in most of the United States will fall back an hour, plunging us into darkness for the next four months until we change them back again. It's a never-ending cycle, much like time itself. I'm Jane Koston. Personally, I find the clock switches pretty annoying. It's disorienting. And I know it can be a nightmare for my friends who are parents. But what didn't I know? Daylight saving is a wildly contentious issue with some truly high stakes. Also, yes, it's saving without the S. You learn something new every day. It's getting Senators Marco Rubio and Ed Markey to actually agree on something. The Sunshine Protection Act, a bill to make daylight saving time permanent. Which, by the way, 19 states already have on tap. Today, our guests represent opposite sides of this debate. First off, a neuroscientist in favor of permanent standard time. Standard time is determined by the rotation of our Earth, and it also is optimally phased to correspond to biological clocks. Dr. Joseph Takahashi says standard time, what we're falling back to, is much better for our health. He's professor and chair of the Department of Neuroscience at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. Dustin Bueller is an adjunct professor at the Willamette University College of Law. He also serves as the general counsel for the governor of Oregon. His preference would be to make daylight saving time permanent. Daylight saving time is a bit of a clock gimmick. It's a way that we reallocate an hour of daylight that would normally occur in the morning to the evening. I started our conversation by asking about the history of daylight saving time. Dustin, I'm curious to know in the United States how daylight saving came to be. How did we get to this point where we do this thing twice a year that causes most people a fair amount of unhappiness. Yeah, it, it is a weird history. It's somewhat random, to be honest, how we got to this point. You know, it initially came, Jane, from uh, satire. So Benjamin Franklin, when he lived in Paris in 1784, publishes a short satirical piece in a Paris newspaper. Uh, you know, Franklin was a late riser, notoriously late riser, and he was noting that uh, Parisians could save millions on candles if they would switch their clocks back. And initially, this whole idea was kind of a humorous idea that was not taken that seriously. But then when we had wars in the 20th century, that's when things started to be taken very seriously. So in World War I, first Germany, then Britain, then the United States all adopt daylight saving time. Uh, That does not last longer than the war. But in World War II, President Franklin Roosevelt advocates for year-round daylight saving time as a war energy-saving measure. And Congress enacts that for a period of two, three years. But again, it goes away after the war. 
It was really the clock scramble that happened after that that set the table for what we have now. Because after year-round daylight saving time was repealed by Congress in 1945, there were many local jurisdictions that wanted to stay on wartime, as it was called then, and, and, and enjoy the late summer evenings that we had during World War II. And so you had then hundreds, if not thousands, of jurisdictions adopting their own standard of time. And this became so disjointed across the country uh, that you had a hard time telling time where you were. So one of the more comical stories from the 1960s is a 35-mile bus ride that you could get on between Steubenville, West Virginia, and Moundsville, Ohio. And if you wanted on your wristwatch to keep accurate time during that ride, you would have to change your watch seven times. And certainly this was not going to work. And so in 1966, Congress passes the Uniform Time Act that uh, sets up the time zones that we now have. And daylight saving time was part of that. So we've had since then summer daylight saving time. Recently, Congress, uh, 15 years ago or so, extended it by another three weeks in the spring and one week in the fall. So we've expanded that. But we have a debate as to whether we should further depart from that. Should we go to year-round daylight saving time, as I would argue? Should we have year-round standard time? Uh, how should we handle that? The interesting thing about the Uniform Time Act is it allows states to opt out of daylight saving time so they can go on year-round standard time, and Hawaii and Arizona are two examples of that. But it does not allow a similar mechanism for states to opt in to year-round daylight saving time. So currently we have, by my count, 19 states, including Oregon, where I am, wanting to adopt year-round daylight saving time but in, until Congress amends the Uniform Time Act, the federal law, that can't happen. So, Joseph, what's the big deal? Yeah, so even though the switch is only on two days, the lasting impact of the switch can be as long as weeks for certain individuals. So, for example, when you spring forward and individuals have to wake up an hour earlier each day, Many individuals actually require two to three weeks to make that what seems like a very small change of one hour in the timing of the clocks in our body. So uh, a circadian rhythm is a 24-hour, typically physiological process in our bodies that has a periodicity of about a day. It's not exactly 24 hours, and it's endogenously generated by our own cells, by the special set of genes, okay? And living organisms have evolved to have circadian clocks to anticipate the 24-hour change in the environment. So, for example, if you're a plant, it's pretty obvious you can't move, and you depend on photosynthesis, the plant knows when the sun is going to come up the next morning. It doesn't just respond so the light's coming on, it has a whole metabolic program that goes through each day, very clear in plants, but it turns out even in us, humans, and in animals, we have this 24-hour metabolic program that happens every day. But modern society has also imposed additional stresses on our biology. And what we know is when your body clocks go out of sync, there are many bad health and metabolic consequences. Uh, we lose our ability to regulate blood sugar. Lipid levels go up. We become hungry when we're not really hungry. Lots of signaling mechanisms 
are influenced by disruption of our clocks. And just that one-hour disruption is enough to actually trigger these problems. Well, and if I may, Joe, thank you for scientifically validating everything that I feel as a parent of two young kids twice a year. (laughs) Um, This is a really hard time change for a country that is chronically sleep deprived. And it's not surprising, Joe, to hear you speak to the science of that. And I, I, I think what we've seen is that, you know, there are a lot of things that happen during both of those changes. And, you know, as a parent, I can say, look, it's not any easier to fall back as it is to spring forward for me because waking up at 5.30 with kids is not something I enjoy on a Sunday morning. So I think it is really hard. Why do you think we should commit to permanent daylight saving time? I think that the advantages that we get during the summer are very different than the advantages that we could get during the winter. So we all know what the advantages of daylight saving time are during the summer. You have longer evenings, whether it's kids playing outside or people golfing or playing basketball or going out for a walk. You can do more in the night. We're using that time early, early in the morning before everybody gets up and we're allocating that hour to the evening when people are awake. Um, The winter is different. In the winter, most places in the United States, because it's so dark, really have to make a choice. Do they want to allocate the hour of light for the morning commute or the evening commute? And on balance, uh, the argument that I would have that many states have is that that hour of daylight is better allocated for the evening. So, you know, the evening commute is more irregular. There's more children out playing. There's more commuters that might have alcohol in their bloodstream and people are more tired. And so it just makes more sense if we can't have both commutes in the sunlight to prioritize the evening commute. And that's why I think many jurisdictions are starting to look in that direction. In 1974, President Nixon signed into law the Emergency Daylight Saving Time Energy Conservation Act, which set clocks ahead from January to October when Congress intervened. And its stated objective, which I think we've heard before during the First World War and the Second World War, was to save energy. That didn't work. Why do you think that this is going to be a better option today? Well, Jane, I think some of those energy savings did happen, or at least the Department of Transportation, other federal agencies ran studies in the 1970s. And actually, those studies show that there was a marginal energy saving. So there is a savings there potentially. Now, some studies cut the other way. I would actually argue that the more notable reason to go to year-round daylight saving time is it would reduce nationally every year during the winter months somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 motor vehicle and pedestrian fatalities. So, Dustin, can I ask you, previously, when permanent daylight savings time was imposed, uh, why was it then rejected? Yeah, that's a really good question, Joe. At the time, there was a lot of national media around school kid deaths in Florida. And what happened is in Florida, you had incidences where uh, school kids were waiting for a bus early in the morning in the dark, and they were tragically killed. And look, that's horrible. I mean, I'm I'm certainly not going to be in favor of that. But, you know, what's not weighed out in that are the lives of school kids that were saved in the evening playing when it was light out. Uh, That did not show up. And I think, you know, Joe, what that illustrates to me is a lot of times we lurch based on anecdotal things or occurrences. And look, school kid deaths, that is not a good thing. But it also is not, it does not reflect the richness of the conversation around these issues that we're having here and that, frankly, needs to be had around all the different variables that you should consider. So I think that's what it was. And and I also suspect it was because nobody likes waking up in the dark and not seeing the light until it's 9 a.m. in January. That's also not a very popular thing either. Especially farmers is my understanding. 
yeah. in the United States are strongly opposed to they are. daylight saving time. And you know what's so interesting? When I grew up, I heard that the farmers were in favor of it. No, and yeah. It I think everyone heard this conspiracy theory yeah. that daylight saving was for farmers, and actually farmers hate it because it disrupts their schedule. Like, it disrupts everybody else's schedule. Yeah. Joe, you think that we should have permanent standard time, which means that the time that we have between November and March, what we fall back to. Why? Yeah, I'm I'm not alone. My scientific colleagues would agree with me, too. And Morocco stopped having daylight saving in 2018. Like, daylight saving is not a very popular concept right now. Yeah, except in a number of state houses across the country and in Canada. So the reason we really favor permanent daylight savings time. There are three choices. Permanent standard time, the situation we have now where we switch back and forth, and permanent daylight savings time. From a biological and medical point of view, we would argue that permanent standard time is much better. And that's because daylight savings time has a number of negative health consequences. The most striking example is the incidence of cancer, uh, many cancers, not just a handful. And so there's a, a very influential study that came out of the National Cancer Institute that looked at cancer rate by county across the United States. And across our four time zones, there is a gradient in the incidence of all of these cancers that's significant where the western border has a higher incidence rate than the eastern border. Now, that line, the border, is completely artificial. What it means is on the western border, your clock is out of sync in one direction. On the east side, it's out of sync in the other direction. Okay, but for some reason, being out of sync on the western edge is not good for your health. And being on permanent daylight savings time is equivalent to being on the extreme western border of your time zone. And so if we went to permanent daylight savings time, we would have additional months of this non-optimal phasing of our clocks. And that could lead to even higher incidence of cancer than we currently see in the United States. I would say that's the most compelling reason for why we should not adopt daylight savings time, because cancer, as you know, is the second major cause of death in the United States. It's not a trivial consequence. And the number of deaths actually far exceeds the number of traffic accidents uh, in the country. It's only exceeded by cardiovascular death in the United States. So it is a very important uh, and serious health concern. I'm curious for you, Dustin, because when you look at the people who do really like daylight saving, it is the golf course industry, recreational groups, the Association for Convenience and Fuel Retailing, which is the people who are the Association of Gas Stations. There's a big financial incentive to have permanent daylight saving time. And I'm curious what calculus that plays into and how you think about the potential health consequences. So 
how much of this is about a business consideration, not just a there will be fewer car accidents consideration? Yeah, that's a really good question, Jane. And, you know, what I like about the way Joe approaches this in his comments, his thoughts, is it really is a cost-benefit analysis where we have to think through the policy upsides and downsides. And I think, you know, what we're in agreement on here is um, the time switch is not optimal. The time switch really is something we should get rid of one way or the other, whether we go on year-round daylight saving time or year-round standard time. You know, maybe there's some disagreement there. If we get to that level of the discussion, I think it really is hard to weigh out some of the economic benefits of year-round daylight saving time against some of the drawbacks, potential drawbacks of daylight saving time that Joe's identifying, um, whether that's health effects such as cancer or other things. You know, frankly, I think that's really important that we draw those benefits, potential benefits and drawbacks out, because only then can policymakers have that full slate of considerations to think through. You know, it's not just cancer or, you know, the golf industry, as you mentioned, Jane, or as I would emphasize, motor vehicle fatalities or even energy. I mean, other studies suggest that that hour of light is better allocated in the evening uh, to reduce certain incidences of crime. Um, Because for whatever reason, criminals, much like uh, a lot of us, late to bed, late to rise. And so there are so many different policy aspects of this that you can weigh out. It really does become, I think, a little tricky for policymakers to um, figure out what they want to emphasize. I am really actually curious, Joe, in what you're saying about the health effects. I would be curious what you attribute that Western versus Eastern effect in a time zone to be from, just kind of medically. Um, That's a really interesting consideration that I think policymakers should consider. And I'm just curious, kind of um, scientifically, what do you think explains that? Yeah, one of the one of the ideas to explain that is there are two phenomena going on here. So our own body clocks naturally are they're genetically determined each individual. Okay, we're not it's not learned or anything and you can't really change it. Uh, our clocks are a little bit slower than the real day. That means that if we were to measure our clock in a laboratory we would find that our clocks tend to be longer than 24 hours. And that's true for about 80% of the human population. Only 20% of us have fast-running clocks shorter than 24 hours. The consequence of that is that we tend to lag the 24-hour cycle. And so our bodies are more optimally synchronized on the eastern sites as compared to the western border. And one of the things that happens in society today is a phenomenon that's called social jet lag. So if you take a typical working person, they work five days a week during the week, and they have a social schedule driven by their job or their school. They have to wake up early and be on time at their responsibility. And because our clocks are slower than 24 hours, it's actually difficult for us to wake up early as opposed to staying up late. So what happens is your typical person during the work week gradually is sleep-deprived because they can't go to sleep early enough to make up for that deficit because they're waking up early. And in the weekends, they make up for that sleep debt by sleeping longer, but they also sleep later. And so we can measure that difference, the difference between work days and free days. And the larger that difference is, 
the worse the health consequences are. And so it turns out that daylight saving time actually exacerbates the social jet lag difference. I'm interested for both of you whether it is a matter of having permanent one way or permanent the other, and that the real problem is that we switch back and forth. Dustin, do you think the switch is the problem? And that even if we had permanent daylight saving or permanent standard time, that would be better than switching? Yes, that's my opinion. Although I admit, um, look, I'm biased. I'm a parent of two small kids. That time change is a killer for us uh, in our house. And I know I'm not alone amongst parents in the United States, but You know, Joe, I would be really curious in your thoughts on that medically, kind of scientifically, what do you think about that time change versus um, the reservations you have about daylight saving time? It would it would just kind of occur to me that really that time change is the biggest problem. But, um, you know, I'd really be curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think that our ranking of, you know, best to worst would be permanent standard time, the current situation and permanent daylight savings time being worse you know, I completely agree with you that we do not like the switch back and forth, but the five additional months of being out of phase each year is actually worse biologically by going to permanent daylight saving time. Even if we move to permanent standard time, that's not going to change all of the other ways in which we mess with how our bodies interpret light. We don't operate with the sun. We don't get enough rest in general. What do you think having permanent standard time would do if we have all of these other means by which we can screw up how we sleep? Yeah, it's it's kind of like tipping the balance, you know. So when your body is out of sync with the environment, that puts you at risk. And Laboratory experiments clearly show that we then have trouble regulating our blood sugar. The way that we respond to nutrients is different, and it affects our sleep pattern. All of those, then it's a, you know, a feedback effect that makes it worse. And so I agree, permanent standard time is not going to solve any of those issues, but I think because of the imbalance caused by daylight savings time in our clocks, that can be a tipping point in the wrong direction. Last week, we asked you to send us your opinions on daylight saving time, and you had a lot of thoughts. Hi, Jane. I'm Jaylene, and I live in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Jane. This is Andrew from Nashville. Hey, my name is Patrick Schlabs. I live in Charleston, South Carolina. Hi, this is Alex from Brooklyn. I have some very strong feelings on daylight saving time. And let's face it, morning people have enough advantages as it is. People who want to wake up after 5.30 in the morning, you know, maybe they should get something to eventually. I dislike it very much. As I've grown older, I've just noticed that the light outside it affects my mood and it affects my energy level. Sometimes I think I'm the only one in the universe who loves daylight saving. I love darkness. Darkness tells me it's time to relax, that the workday is done. I'm calling in defense of daylight savings time. I surf every single day before work. If we do away with daylight savings time, 
I will lose my precious Dawn Patrol with my bros down at the beach. I have a PhD in animal science focusing on dairy production, so I'm here to tell you that cows unanimously hate daylight saving probably more than any of us humans do. Anyone who blames daylight saving time on farmers has obviously never fed livestock or milked cows before. What are you arguing about? With your family? Your friends? Your frenemies? Tell me about the big debate you're having in a voicemail by calling 347-915-4324. And we might play an excerpt of it on a future episode. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if the sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I use the New York Times Games app every single day. I love playing Connections. With Connections, I need to twist my brain to see the different categories. I absolutely love spelling bee. Sudoku is kind of my version of lifting heavy weights at the gym. When I can finish a hard puzzle without pins, I feel like the smartest person in the world. It gives me joy every single day. Start playing in the New York Times Games app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash games app. Dustin, daylight saving time is not a worldwide phenomenon. Only around 70 countries follow it. Given America's position in the global economy, how do you think operating on permanent daylight saving could impact our interactions with the world? I have family in New Zealand, for instance. Trying to remember what time it is in any other country is annoying as it is. And I'm curious how that potential change could impact global relations in your view. Uh, Jane, I, I certainly think you've just flagged why uh, changes in daylight saving time are not particularly popular amongst the airline industry and others, uh, because you're right. Look, it can be very confusing across borders when jurisdictions change. You know, what I would hope happens here if there are changes to be made is that those changes are done collaboratively across international boundaries. So, for example, when Oregon and Washington a few years ago uh, introduced bills in our legislatures to extend year-round daylight saving time, uh, we were in a conversation with the premier of British Columbia at the time. So you're right. It, 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 this is a real big concern. We shouldn't be acting in a way that puts us out of whack with other key jurisdictions, um, economically or otherwise. But at the same time, that should not be a deterrent to having the conversation. This is a really important conversation to have. And my hope is, is that uh, if we were to move in a direction where we're extending daylight saving time for the benefits that have been identified, that we do that collaboratively with other jurisdictions. Should we be thinking about time differently? We have Senator Marco Rubio, who has a bill to institute permanent daylight saving and he's working alongside Sheldon Whitehouse, a Democrat from Rhode Island, and Ron Wyden, a Democrat from Oregon. This is a weirdly bipartisan issue on both sides. Is this about how our work days don't really work for workers or for families? And with the future of remote work, with more people being able to work according to their own schedule, I'm curious how we should be thinking about making time work for us. Yeah, I think that we do need to think about time in a different way. Uh, much of 
the way that time is managed, you know, in the modern world is driven by artificial constraints. There are societal demands. The school bus schedule drives what time your kids have to go to school. And in most of the United States, the school bus schedule is actually backwards from the way it should be designed biologically. Uh, so I'll just give you an example where I, I used to live. The bus schedule is high school starts first. They had to go to school at 6.30 in the morning to catch the bus, and then junior high and then elementary school, okay? Now, we know biologically that high school age students are severely delayed in their sleep patterns. They like to stay up, go to bed late, and wake up late. And it's turn, it turns out that's natural. It's not that they're lazy. Their biology is driving that. And so there are a few places where uh, science has prevailed and they've actually switched the bus schedule so that high schoolers are picked up last and the youngsters who can wake up earlier are picked up first. So most of this is sort of arbitrary and driven by other forces than scientific reasons. And that's why I would hope that Marco Rubio might consult with some scientists uh, when he's preparing his legislation. I, I would guess that he is probably consulting with people who represent the, I am guessing, very powerful Florida golf course industry who very much would like extra light at the end of the day so that you could hypothetically drive to a golf course and golf after work. You know, I think Joe is right. Uh, there, there are so many reasons why we choose to measure time the way we do and why we structure our days the way we do. You know, in that sense, I, I think one thing we should keep in mind is that the debate we're having or the discussion we're having around daylight saving time versus standard time you know, that is just one of many different considerations that people take into account when they're structuring their day. And Joe, your comment about school buses is a, is a good example of that, right? And I, I think, you know, at some level, I agree. I, I would hope that all policymakers are talking with scientists and also talking with, you know, parents and economic sectors and others in making this decision. But I think a lot of the biological answer probably gets watered down if you as I do, kind of admit that we need some standard measure of time, right? And, and I think what, you know, what is ideal biologically, I, I just wonder if, you know, to a certain extent, we sacrifice a little bit of that to have a standard measure of time for our economy, or our way of life. You know, probably we're going to have to land in a place where we have to tolerate some imprecision in what we would biologically need because we need some predictability. But I think it should all be taken into account. And Jane, to the point you made earlier, what's so interesting about this issue is it is not cutting across normal ideological lines. Um, when you have Senator Marco Rubio from Florida agreeing with Senator Ron Wyden uh, from Oregon, uh, boy, that's pretty far and few between. And I think that that really points to the fact that people are weighing things kind of out of their normal partisan leanings or ideological framework, which is really interesting. I was about to ask you a joke, because I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think I'm, I'm the cynic on this. But why do you think there's been such a push from state houses for permanent daylight saving time? I would argue it's because the Association for Convenience and Fuel Retailing has spent many, many millions of dollars on lobbying on this issue. But is there anything else that you can think of here? 
scientists, you know, unfortunately are not very effective lobbyists. And so I think that our voices are not heard uh, as well by legislatures and other politicians. Yeah, and I guess I would, uh, Jane, I, I, look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of scientists being heard um, in state houses. I think that's really important. You know, as we saw this debate play out here in Oregon a few legislative sessions ago, you know, I actually don't think it was just um, big business or golf courses. It really was a, a wide range of advocates that pointed to things much broader than that. So, you know, some people were saying, look, we might get a reduced peak energy demand of a percent to 3%. And look, when California had rolling blackouts some years ago based on demand exceeding supply by a percentage point at times, you know, that can really matter to the lives of real people. And I just think that that is part of the debate, right? So look, cancer is maybe a reason that you need to consider against year-round daylight saving time. But at the same time, there are a lot of different economic effects and effects on people living their lives that also should factor into that. There's no real clear-cut right answer here because these are all different values that we're weighing. And I and when we saw this debate play out in the state house here in Oregon, um, which I suspect reflected the national debate, there were a lot of different types of interests that were being put forth in favor of daylight saving time. And I do think it's interesting that, you know, jurisdictions, the vast majority of jurisdictions that have debated this have really landed on the daylight saving time. Right now under the Uniform Time Act, any state can go the route of Hawaii and Arizona and opt into standard time. And I think it's really interesting and perhaps telling that jurisdictions are not choosing to do that. There is a lot of political energy, as you said, in Oregon, Florida in 2018. There has been a lot of bipartisan political energy to make daylight saving permanent. Why do you think nothing has happened? It's a really good question, and I don't know that I have a good answer to it. The next change would have to happen at the federal level, obviously, with the Uniform Time Act. I, you know, frankly suspect that some of the inertia that we've seen around this in recent years uh, is a nature of the crises that we live in, right? Um, there have been so many other things that have distracted from this moment. It looked a few years ago like state houses were building toward this moment that maybe the Uniform Time Act was going to be amended. I think some of that has maybe been put on hold a bit by the national conversation around COVID and other things. You know, frankly, some of it could just be that Congress is considering its options here. And to your point, Joe, maybe Congress is thinking carefully about the science of this and other things, or at least um, not moving hastily on this. Um, because when you have 19 states that are asking for action like that, it is really interesting that Congress is not doing something that would allow them to opt in. Although I do think it's interesting that Senator Rubio's bill, as I understand it, would put the entire nation on year-round daylight saving time rather than the jurisdictions that choose to opt in. I think if there's anything the history of daylight saving time has taught us, it's that we move on this issue for reasons that are not always the reasons we should be moving on it. Um, there are anecdotal, kind of arbitrary reasons why we suddenly lurch in one direction or the other. And they're not always really the, the key policy considerations that policymakers should be thinking about. Dustin Bueller and Dr. Joseph Takahashi, thank you so much for talking to me about this really interesting issue that has made me think a lot about time. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. Justin Bueller is an adjunct professor at the Willamette University College of Law. He also serves as the general counsel for the governor of Oregon. Dr. Joseph Takahashi is a professor and chair of the Department of Neuroscience at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. He's also an investigator at the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. 
If you want to learn more about daylight saving time, I recommend Daylight Savings Year-Round Could Save Lives, Improve Sleep, and Other Benefits, published in The Conversation in 2019. For the other side, you can read Why We Should Abolish Daylight Saving Time in Michigan Health, published March 2021. And listen to Matters of Time, an episode of 99% Invisible. You can find links to all of these in our episode notes. The Argument is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Phoebe Lett, Elise Gutierrez, and Bashaka Durba. Edited by Alison Brujak and Sarah Geis. With original music and mixing by Isaac Jones. Additional engineering by Carol Subarau. Fact-checking by Kate Sinclair. And audience strategy by Shannon Busta. Special thanks this week to Kristen Lynn.